Matthew 28 and verse 18. We're going to have a good time tonight. I've been uh, down in cough drops in medicines all day, but I'm excited to preach to you guys tonight because I wasn't going to stay home no matter what because I was excited about what God was going to do tonight. I didn't care if I had to come uh, with Kleenex in my nose all night. I'm going to come to Corey tonight because God's doing something new. He's doing something fresh, and it's exciting. So I got a word for you tonight if you got ears to hear. So Matthew 28 and verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying that he's talking to his disciples before he's about to go to heaven. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's encouraging for us as believers. Your government doesn't have all the authority. Your parents don't have all the authority. A dictator on this planet does not have all the authority. Some business does not have all the authority. Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth. And how many know if you're his disciple, if you're part of his body, what he has, you have. And so Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, go therefore, or as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And he amened himself because it was that good. Amen. So let's look over at Galatians 1. Galatians 1. Galatians 1 in verse, we're going to start in verse 3. Galatians 1, verse 3. It says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 4, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of, of our God and the Father, to whom be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. But we're going to focus in on verse 4. It says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and our Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So if you're taking notes tonight, the time of message is the rescued. The rescued. As you can see, I got a I, I got an object lesson. I went I went there with you tonight. I got I got the object for us tonight, and this is gonna come in handy for us tonight. I gotta I'm gonna have to untie this later on, but so we're talking about the rescued. You know, has anybody ever been rescued? You can go ahead and raise your hand up. Has anybody ever been rescued in your life? Now, ha- has any of that happened in the water? A, cu- a couple people that are truthful. Admit it. You know, I, I was thinking about this, and uh, God gave me this message, message about the rescued. And uh, as we read in Galatians 1, it says, God rescued us from this present evil age. He has rescued us, and we're going to read some other scriptures later on. It says, He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of light. And I was thinking about this idea of being rescued, and predominantly about you being in the ocean and being rescued because that's happened to me a couple different times one of the times is, is, is funny but the other time was not too funny and um, 
the first one was it, it happened in Destin, Florida. How many have ever been to Destin, Florida? Come on. A lot of people go to Destin, Florida for family vacations. That's like a family vacation spot, Destin. And I remember I was out there, and I was thinking I knew how to surf, and I didn't know, really know how to surf. I had a surfboard, and I thought it was cool. I thought I was like on Laguna Beach out there in Destin, Florida. And uh, I thought I was like a pro surfer, and I could barely even stand up. All I could do was pretty much boogie board. And uh, so I remember I got out there, and the water was really choppy. And uh, there was maybe a couple people out there, so-called lifeguards, but they were uh, the lifeguards at our hotel in Destin, Florida, were more like people serving people cocktails on the beach, uh, more than saving people's life. So they were they were handing uh, daiquiris to people instead of saving helpless people like me in the water. So I remember I was out there, and this is the one that wasn't too funny, uh, because I, I swam out pretty far, and uh, I, I was just swimming with all my might. Have you ever had that happen? When you're in the ocean and you swim with all your might, and you cannot get back no matter what, and you just the water keeps pushing you this 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 way, and you see your parents and you see the tent uh, where they're sitting under and people drinking daiquiris, and you're like, I'm gonna die out here, and everybody's just drink, drinking daiquiris on the beach, and they can't hear me scream, and uh, that day was really scary because I remember five different times I swam with all my heart just paddling, paddling, paddling. Nobody was close to me trying to go straight in. Of course, they tell you not to to swim straight in if you're trying to get back to shore, kind of do it at an angle, but I didn't know that I was a kid. So I was like thinking in my head, like, this is it. This is over because I I can't swim back to shore. I'm just going to have to be buried at sea here. At the ripe old age of 12 years old, I'm going to be buried at sea because I decided to be, I want to be surfer out here in the ocean in Destin. And so that was a scary moment. I remember I was screaming. I was probably crying and nobody heard me. And it was the grace of God that I got back to the shore or an angel that pulled me all the way to shore. Something happened, but I got back to shore eventually. And I tell you what, there was lifeguards everywhere and nobody decided to save my life. And that wasn't funny that day. And I, I look back and now, and it, it is kind of funny, but that was the thing that, that wasn't, wasn't too funny because I needed to be rescued and nobody would help me. You know, the other one came from uh, when me and my lovely bride, which is sitting on the front row, uh, we were on our honeymoon, and we were in St. John's, and, of course, she was sitting on the beach, as she does, not in the water, on the beach, um, just enjoying herself, getting a tan, and, and I'm out there thinking I'm like a, a professional snorkeler, and so I go out there, and I got all my snorkel gear on, and I'm just, I'm sw- I swim out way, way too far, and there's like little buoys out there, and this one was kind of funny, but it was a little bit offensive, because I was out there, and see, this is, this is me, like 23 years old, and the other thing happened when I was 12 years old, so I really couldn't swim that well when I was 12 years old. So I'm 23 years old, and I'm thinking, hey, I just got married. I'm a grown man out here swimming, snorkeling. Nobody needs to help me. And those lifeguards on at St. John's were on it because I guess by the way I was swimming, I guess I was flailing my arms so much, they came to rescue me out there. And, 
course, this guy who just looks like he's on Baywatch, he's tan, he's ripped, he's buff, he has like a yellow surfboard, and he comes out there, and he's got a little paddle with it, and he, he goes all the way out to me, and he's like, sir, sir, are you okay? Get on the surfboard. You need to get up here. We need to save your life right now. And I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not drowning or anything. And he goes, no, no, you're in denial right now. Get, get on the board. You must have. You must have took in too much salt water or something happened. Maybe you hit your head on a rock or something out here. And he goes, you need to get on the surfboard. I'm like, no, man, I'm good. I'm really good. And finally, I convinced him, like, hey, dude, I'm not drowning out here. But see, he was so passionate about just rescuing anybody that day. I guess it's pretty boring at St. John's. So if he just saw anybody just flailing his arms out there, I mean, because the water was pretty rough and I was just trying to, you know, swim my, my best that I could. It's not pretty always, but I, at least I get the job done. And so he's just trying to save anybody he can. But I didn't need saving. I didn't need help. I didn't need rescue. And, you know, it's kind of embarrassing when somebody tries to rescue you and you really don't need rescued. And then you feel shame because everybody looks at you when you walk back on the shore like, this guy came all the way out there to save you just because he thought you were drowning. I'm telling you these stories for a reason tonight. And one more story before we get going. That uh, It's a story I heard tell about uh, this guy who was rescued in the ocean. And the thing about him was he was a fisherman. And it happened, he was in this big uh, harbor or this big bay area. And somehow he, got, uh, he fell off his boat and he was about 100 to 200 feet behind his boat, which is not good his boat was still running and so uh that wasn't good and he was screaming and yelling for help and nobody helped him and nobody was trying to save him but then another fishing boat came by and a uh, smaller boat with some scrawny guys in there and this was a grown man this was a big boy okay he, he'd been eating some good food like an NFL linebacker he's a grown man and so these two little skinny fishermen get get this big old boy up in the boat and they save his life, and he is so thankful, and he's passionate, and he's like, oh my gosh, you guys saved my life, and they go back into the harbor, which is, it's not too far away from where this guy got rescued, where people could hear this guy screaming, and there happened to be several multi, multi, multi million dollar yachts in the harbor tied up, and there was a bunch of celebrities that we would all know partying on those yachts. And so when they got in, they were saying, you know, hey, what about you didn't hear this guy screaming? And these guys were too busy partying with each other, tied up to the boat to hear anybody that needed rescued. And that whole story reminded me of what most churches become. It's they're tied up to the dock, having a good time with each other, looking at how, how good each other look, partying with each other, saying, oh man, you blessed and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost and power, and I just, I just love you and appreciate you, and we just need to get in the Word more. We don't hang out with sinners because we don't like sinners, and because that's going to make us unrighteous if we hang out with bad people. And they're tied up to the dock while people are drowning hundreds of feet away from them. And that's what those celebrities were doing literally a couple hundred feet away from this guy that was screaming out in help. They were too busy on their multi-million dollar yachts, translation, multi-million dollar churches, and missed the point that they, are, they were there in that harbor 
and there was people drowning all around them. The church can so easily become that. And that's a picture of a lot of Christians in a lot of churches. We are tied up to the dock, dressed up. We look fancy. We, man, we're blessed now. We're prosperous now. We drive a nice car. We got a good house. We got a good family. We're well studied. Man, man we have a Bible college education. But people are drowning around us and we don't even hear it anymore. And God didn't put you in that bay or that harbor so you could look at each other. He didn't put you in that bay or the harbor so you could just have a party on your yacht by yourself. He put you there to save dying people. He put you there to rescue drowning people. We're just getting going tonight. And that's what a lot of Christians and a lot of churches are, are doing. They, they're in their boats while people are sinking around them. People without God are sinking. Now, I'm going to say that tonight. I don't know if you're all Christians here tonight, but if you don't have God in your life, you're sinking. I don't know if you know that, but that's what you're doing. Some people admit it sooner than later. Some people admit it when they're younger. Some people wait their whole life and then admit, hey, guess what? This, my whole life, I've been sinking. The Word of God says the wages of sin is death. And all of us in here are sinners by nature, whether you know it or not. We're all sinners by nature, and we're all in need of a Savior. So I'm not up here saying, like, I'm all that in a bag of chips because I'm up on the boat now. The only reason I'm in the boat is because somebody rescued me. And you got to realize, if, you, if you're not already saved and God's not a part of your life, you're in need of rescue. Sometimes you won't admit it because you're fronting and you're prideful and you want to act like you've got it all together, but you don't. On the inside, when you go to bed at night, you don't have peace. That's why you're looking to fulfill that in your education. You're looking to fulfill that in sex. You're looking to fulfill that if you're the most popular person at your campus. You're looking to fulfill that in alcohol on a Friday night. You're looking to fulfill that with drugs and sex and everything else you can get your hands on because you're not fulfilled because you're sinking. And that alcohol cannot save you. That sexual relation you had cannot float. It's going to the bottom with you. You got to realize this Bible that we read, see a lot of us in here, when I was younger, this is what I thought. It's like the Bible is like 2,000 something years old. Why do I need to read it? It's like an old book. It's not really relevant. But you got to realize the Bible is eternal. And the Bible was written by God, and it's just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago, and 3,000 years ago, and 4,000 years ago, because it's the story of God rescuing us, all of us, not just a nation, not just a people group, not just America, not just good people, it's God's story of Him rescuing all of us. The Bible is the story of God rescuing us. See, the thing is, in the beginning, we all know about Adam and Eve. The thing is, Adam, we were, we were on the boat with God. We were on this sweet-looking yacht. I mean, with champagne and caviar and all that nasty junk that rich people drink and eat. I mean, it was a nice yacht. And Adam and Eve, 
Adam specifically, got us all kicked off the boat. <laughs> he got us all thrown off the boat and into the water where it's dangerous. That's what the Word of God says. Because of Adam's sin, we all sinned. Because of Adam's sin, we were all separated from God. So Adam got us thrown off this boat. So you can thank him when you get to heaven. You can thank Adam for this. Thank you, Adam, for throwing us off the boat. So you got to realize, Adam threw us off the boat. That's the first half of the story. But then God sent his son, which is Jesus, and he threw us a lifesaver. He threw us a lifesaver because we're sinking beside the boat. And we, we, we can't get up in the boat no matter how good we act or, or all our good works and everything we try to do to get ourselves back in the boat. What people use to say, you know, I'm a good, moral, integrous person, so you know, I deserve to get on the boat. You can't get back on the boat. If you're able to get back on the boat with God, somebody's going to have to save you and throw you a lifesaver and pull you back up into that boat. And the good news is, Jesus did. God sent his son Jesus to throw us the lifesaver when we were sinking and pull us back into the relationship with him on the boat. So Jesus is our lifesaver. Say, Jesus is my lifesaver. Jesus is my lifesaver. See, I need to untie this real quick. We're just getting started here. It's going to get messy. Let's look back over at Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Jesus told his disciples, Go therefore as you go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even the end of the age. Translation, he said go. You know what that means? Untie your stinking boat and get out there and start saving people. He said go. Don't stay in the harbor. Don't shine your boat. Don't look at each other's boats and just eat your fancy food. Get your butt in the harbor because there's dying people all around you that need rescued. He said, go. You know, I said this earlier, but they got those little cushions on different boats, and they're not the same quality as a lifesaver. And a lot of us say, this is not a flotation device. It's not going to help you. It's not going to save you. If you fall off this boat, this little pillow you're holding onto is not going to keep you afloat. And all those things I mentioned earlier, that's what they are. They're, they're attempts to try to make yourself float or get through this life, but they're not made for that. <laughs> You've got to sink with those things. A lot of people have their flotation devices, like I said, sex, Drugs, popularity, education. If I just get smarter than everybody, then I'm really a success in life and I'm not sinking. No, you're still sinking. 
you're a little bit smarter than the rest of the people sinking, but you're all sinking. And until you trade in your flotation device that cannot truly float for a lifesaver, you're not going to make it. Now, I've got a couple points tonight I want to share with you. You guys ready for these? Number one, those who've been radically rescued will rescue radically. I want you to write that down tonight. Those who have been radically rescued will rescue radically. Now let's look at Galatians 1. Galatians 1 again. Galatians 1 and verse 4, it says, Who gave himself for our sins, that's Jesus, that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Now let me read it from the message. I love the message translation. You guys should get one of these. In the message translation, it says it like this. So I greet you with the great words of grace and peace. We know that the meaning of those words because Jesus Christ rescued us from this evil world we're in by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Check this out in the message. It says, God's plan is that we all experience that rescue. God's plan is that we all experience that rescue, not just us that are in here tonight. It's awesome. I appreciate it. I'm excited that we've been rescued. But God's plan is that everybody on the planet experience the same kind of rescue that you've received. You know, Colossians 1 and 13, it it talks about God rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of light. So number one, those who've been radically rescued will rescue radically. See, the reason there's, there's a lot of, of, of us in here that have been church kids for a long time, and the reason you're not passionate about winning people to Jesus is because you don't realize you've been rescued radically. You think you're already pretty much on the boat already because you were good enough and you were raised up in this thing, and Jesus didn't really have to do much of a rescue. I was kind of like halfway on the boat anyways, Jesus. You just had to pull me in. No, you were sinking in sin. And you needed rescued. The reason all of us, including myself, are not passionate about rescuing others, we don't realize how we've been rescued. When you know how much you've been rescued out of, it's, it's nothing to go rescue others. See, you still don't got revelation that you've been rescued, that Jesus brought you out of anything yet. Because once you realize that, you can't keep it to yourself. When you realize you were just sinking beside the boat and you see others sinking beside the boat, you can't just sit there and drink your Sprite. You can't sit there and eat your appetizers. There's something in you because you've just been rescued. You can't just sit there and do nothing about it. You know you've got to throw something across the boat to get to those people. You can't sit there and not throw the lifesaver overboard when you've just been saved. See, that's the issue. And I know because I've I've been in church 24 years and nine months of my life. My parents are pastors. 
there's one hindrance that seems like when you grow up in it, everything's always given to you and you think that you aren't rescued out of anything. Just because you've been blessed your whole life and you've grown up in it, you don't see the same rescue as somebody else who came from the world. Like a brother Joe or like my father who came out of a drug addiction and all these things. They realize they've been rescued radically, so they're passionate about rescuing others radically. So if you're not passionate about that, maybe you need to go back and see how much you've been brought out of. A lot of you don't have to, you, you never even had to get delivered out of any of that junk in the first place. God preserved you. You never even had to get up in the deliverance line. Are you guys getting anything tonight? I didn't mean to get, get loud with you for a second, but it's the truth. Once you realize you've been radically rescued, you will rescue radically. That means you will do whatever it takes to see lost people saved. You will do whatever it takes, whether you get a little wet, whether you have to go over some bumpy shores out in that harbor with the wind and the waves against you, you will not care because you're going to rescue somebody else. So those who have been radically rescued will rescue radically. And let's look over at 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. Man, I'm excited tonight. I'm glad you guys came. First Peter 3. I'm going to tell you something that we know this. Jesus is not here in physical form anymore. He ascended to heaven, and he gave the mission to his church, which we are his church. So if people are going to get rescued, we're going to have to rescue them. We realize Jesus is a lifesaver. We can't do the same job Jesus did for him. Jesus is a lifesaver. But you know what our job is as a church? we got to throw the rope. We have to throw the rope. Jesus is the lifesaver, and we can't take his job, but he's not going to throw it for us. When he left, he gave the mission to the church and the Holy Spirit, and he said, guess what? You're in charge now. I did my part in saving them, the lifesaver. But he handed you the rope, and if somebody's going to get rescued, you're going to be the one that has to throw it. See, all of us are waiting on God, and God is waiting on you. We're over there saying the sovereignty of God. You know, if God wants to save him, let him save him. That has never worked, and it will, will never work. Because God gave you the responsibility to throw the rope. So he's the lifesaver, but we got to throw the rope. And you know, it's, it's a big job that one of us can't just be holding the rope. The job that, that God's given us as a church, this can't just be one or two people holding the rope because there's a lot of people that need to be rescued. And it just can't be one of us dragging people into the boat. No, it has to be all of us for the mission God's given us to change the city and to change schools and to change nations and to change the world. The whole church has to be pulling the rope. 
Number two, you got to realize hope is the rope. Hope is the rope. So throw it. Hope is the rope. He's handed you the rope. God has handed you the, the rope to rescue drowning people around you. Throw the rope. You say, well, how do I throw the rope? And I just told you, hope is the rope that you throw. You know, we talk so much about somebody's pushing these drugs in my way. or They're, they're like a sex pusher. You need to be a hope pusher. People need to get around you and say, why are you so stinking positive? Why are you so optimistic about your future? Why are you always expecting good things to happen to you? Because you got hope. And hope is the rope that gets them in. Hope is the rope. Be a hope pusher. Let me explain that on another level. When you're at school or you're at your job, or you're in your neighborhood because you know people are coming up to you every day you know I just can't do this I can't do that you know I, I never I can't, I can't never break this addiction I've tried to break it I've tried to do this and that and you know so many people around them are saying yeah you know what me too I can't break it either kind of hopeless you need to be the person throwing the rope saying no you don't have to be addicted to that for the rest of your life there is hope in Jesus, and Jesus can set you free of anything. The Word of God says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, or is really free. There is no bondage that can hold you when Jesus comes into your life. So you need to be a hope pusher. You need to throw the rope of hope. Everywhere you go, every person you come into contact with, it's not hard to find somebody who's hopeless. This world is full of them. Especially the, the, the worse the economy gets and nations act like they're going to fight with each other. You need to stand up and be the hope and the light of the world in that situation. And say you don't have to live unsettled or not at peace. There's hope for you. You don't have to be addicted to that thing the rest of your life. There's hope for you. You don't have to be sick the rest of your life. There's hope for you you got to show them there's hope. And hope is the rope that gets them. You need to be a hope pusher. And on 1 Peter 3, in verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready. Notice, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for your reason for the hope that is in you. What, is, what does the Bible just say? Always be ready. Why? Because especially for us as young people, we're in contact with so many people during the day, whether it be at school or work, in our neighborhoods. We're seeing all sorts of people nonstop. And the Bible says always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. You've got to realize... If you're going to be walking around in this level of hope, people are going to ask you, why are you like that? What are you so happy and joyful about? What is the hope that's in you? 
That's what the Word of God says. If you're really going to be a person and follow a Jesus that's throwing hope, people will come ask you and be ready to give them an answer. That's the thing. People will come up and ask you, but some of us don't even have an answer. Realize, hope is the rope that gets them. And when they, when they see you and they see the hope in your eyes and they see the hope in your voice and they see that, that you're expecting good in your future and you're excited about your life, even though there could be other negative things going on in your life and you act like you could care less, they're going to say, why are you so hopeful? Give me a reason why you're hopeful. And the Word of God says, be ready to give them an answer. What's the answer? The answer is Jesus. Because there's hope in Jesus. There's nothing impossible for him. He can do anything. He says, with God, nothing is impossible. So number two, hope is the rope. You guys still here? You know, something else I was thinking of here was, you know, if you do any research about yacht clubs, (laughs) I remember we talked about... uh, we talked about the Freemasons and American Legion. And I said all those clubs that old men hang out at and, like, play bingo, smoke cigarettes and stuff like that. I don't know. But all those clubs. But then there's, there's, there's a, another level of clubs, which are yacht clubs. They ain't playing bingo at the yacht club. They play in poker with million-dollar chips on the table. But the thing about yacht clubs is yacht clubs didn't start out as a bunch of people who had multi-million dollar boats and just sat around and just got tain on their boats and ate, uh, you know, shrimp and drank cocktails. That's not how yacht clubs started out. Did you know that? Yacht clubs got started predominantly in, you know, the Massachusetts area up there and in Maine and that kind of part of the country, the Northeast Yacht clubs got started up there as really rescue societies. And what happened was a bunch of people got together in the community that had boats, not really expensive boats, and decided, hey, you know, if nobody else is going to save dying people out here, we're going to rescue the people as a community. So the yacht club didn't start out as some fancy thing that we see today. It started out as a rescue society rescuing rescuing people and they were excited about it and they were pumped up about it but how many years later you see the yacht clubs now are just a place where multi-million dollar boats are tied up in harbors and they just look at each other and look how how buff everybody is and how much plastic surgery each other has and how much food they have at their tables and they don't rescue anybody That's what a lot of churches will start out on. They started out as a rescue society, and they ended up a yacht club. Because, I mean, they were pumped. They were fired up when they first started a church or they first started to know Jesus. But after a while, they got comfortable. And they became a yacht club. I don't want to be a yacht club. You know, the thing is, I know what I'm about to say is going to confront you a little bit, but you deciding to be somebody who rescues others is going to be uncomfortable. Hello, somebody. 
if you're going to decide to be somebody who actually does something with their life, I say that a lot, but I say it on purpose, that actually does something with their life that is important and that will matter in eternity. You're not too young to start. When you die, what you wore to your prom will not matter. When you die, your bank account will not matter. The people you rescued will matter. That's all that will matter in the end. But if you're going to be a rescuer, it's not going to be comfortable. That's the reason these rescue societies became yacht clubs. Because guess what? It's going to take some work, some effort. It's going to be uncomfortable to go out there and fight the waves and get wet and rescue people. And it's a lot easier to stay at the dock where it's safe. And you got all the food you need. And you got warm clothes. And you got million, millions worth of uh, uh, dollars of electronics there where you can watch TV and do whatever you want. That's comfortable. But I got to tell you, if you really want to do something for Jesus and be a rescuer, it's not going to be comfortable. See, this is, this is the part which I'm going to share about next week. When you go from a fan to a follower. Because you're just a fan of Jesus if you just want to be comfortable the rest of your life. But a follower is willing to get uncomfortable for Jesus. If you're not uncomfortable, you're probably really not following Jesus. Can I say that tonight? If you haven't felt uncomfortable or out of your comfort zone in a really long time, you're not following Jesus. I can say that boldly tonight. You are not a follower of Jesus. You'll make it to heaven, congratulations, but you're not a follower. You're a fan. If we want to rescue people, it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's not going to be safe. You ever watch, like, Coast Guard shows, especially, like, in Alaska? It's not safe what those Coast Guard people do. But you know what they do? It's worth it in the end because they rescue people. It's the same thing with us. When we step out for God to rescue others, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be safe. But it's going to be worth it because we're going to rescue others. I tell you what, those who are saying, you know, I'm just, I'm really kind of into comfortable and playing it safe. It looks like that's, that's fun and that's what you really want. But in the end, it's not going to be a fulfilling life if you just live comfortable and play it safe the rest of your life. It won't be. You think it is right now, that's going to be fulfilling and that's going to be what you always wanted. But the only fulfilling life is to be uncomfortable and not play it safe. Mark my words, that is the only fulfilling life. So what you think you're gaining right now, in the end, you're not. Why? Because if you want to be a rescuer, it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's not going to be safe. I, I challenge you to read the Gospels and read the book of Acts. Did Jesus or any of the disciples ever play it safe? Did they ever just say, you know, I just want to wake up and do the comfortable thing? Let's, let me just go hang out with the people I want to be with. Let me just minister to the people I want. I don't want to go heal anybody today. I don't want to go and deliver anybody today. I just want to be comfortable. 
please come back to me and give me an answer because they didn't play it safe. (laughs) And they didn't live comfortable lives. But guess what? They did what God told them to do. And they rescued a lot of people. You know what? Jesus Christ Church, 2,000 some years later, is still rescuing a lot of people. But there's still a lot of people that need rescued yet. That's why I'm preaching this message. Number three, as I close. Did you guys get anything tonight? Number three, this is something that a lot of people say why they can't be rescuers. There's a lot of excuses people give, but one of the main ones I wrote down here, which I'm going to share with you in a second, is something that so many people say, you know, God can't use me. I appreciate that message tonight, and I believe what you're saying. People do need to be rescued, but it's just not me. It's for certain really talented, gifted people and just people that have been good their whole life, not me. That's like kind of not my thing. I can see like a pastor doing it or somebody else, but I'm really not qualified to be that person. I'm going to tell you what you just said is a lie from the pit of hell. Because the devil put that in your mind to get you discouraged. And number three, this is, this is the thing. God will tell a lot of you and has told a lot of you, God can't use me because of my past. And number three, I wanted to say, if you want to be a rescuer, you can't look to your past. If you're going to want to be a, a truly person that rescues others, you cannot focus on your past or what you have done or what you haven't done because you won't rescue anybody. Because you always make excuses why God can't use you or I can't do this or what are they going to think about me because last week I was just doing the same thing they were doing. If you're going to be a rescuer, you cannot live in your past. You got to realize this three different times in the Bible. You know, it's good enough if God says it once, but if he says it three times, it's like, hello, think for a second. He doesn't just throw out words just for fun. If God says it once, it's important. But if he says it three times, it's really important. And three different times in the Bible, God says, I will forgive your sins, but not only that, I will forget your sins. I will not only forgive your past, I will forget your past. So why do you keep remembering it when God has forgotten it? I tell you, I feel like that's one of the the, the main hindrances to people stepping out and doing what God has called them to do. They will not forget their past when God has forgotten your past. He's not just forgiven it and still remembers it and is mad at you. No, he's forgiven it and he's forgotten it. So move on. The apostle Paul said, I forget those things that are behind me and I press on. Because you can't pursue what God is calling to you looking at your past. You're either going forwards or you're going backwards. And you cannot pursue God still looking at your past. Can I read something to you real quick? This is something. I've, I've seen this before, but I saw it recently again on the internet, and I just wanted to read it to you. 
Because like I said, a lot of people, their excuse is, why I can't be used by God, I can't rescue nobody because my past, what I've done. Okay, God could care less about your past. He knows what you're going to do two weeks from now. He knows what you did three years ago. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. And he is not intimidated by any of those things, your past, your present, or your future. He's got them all taken care of. So this is something to think about. This Because people say, God can't use me. And I'm going to read you this, but you've got to realize, a lot of us will read the Bible and think, man, these people were awesome. God used these people just because they were like perfect people and really gifted people. And really, that's not the case. They were just willing people, and they were available people. And just to confirm that, I want to read you a list of people that were in the Bible, whether you know it or not, what they were before they found God. And God used these people. Noah, how many know Noah? He built an ark. Noah was a drunkard. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses, everybody known Moses in the Ten Commandments? Moses was a murderer. I don't know if you realize that. And God used him. When's the last time some of you in here murdered somebody? I didn't think so. I thought Sean might raise his hand, but I wasn't for sure. So we look at Moses like, man, God used Moses. Moses was a murderer, for goodness sakes. And you're saying, God can't use me from my my past. Gideon was afraid. This one's on here. I don't know why. Samson had long hair. I don't know what's the matter with that. But we won't hold it against him. Samson had long hair. Rahab was a prostitute. God used Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Timothy was too young. David, everybody remember David, a man after God's own heart. Not only was David a murderer, he had an illicit affair with somebody else's wife. Okay, none of you in here even fit that category, and God used David so mightily. Why? Because it doesn't matter about your past when you come in contact with Jesus. It doesn't matter because not only does he forgive you, he forgets it and he gives you a new future. Listen, if you just give God what you have, he'll make it into something great. He'll take all those broken pieces of your life and put them back together again and and make it a wonderful ending. I'm not done with this. Elijah, I remember Elijah, was suicidal. Now this is for Brother Weege. Isaiah preached naked. (laughs) True. Isaiah preached naked. I don't know if you knew that. Job was bankrupt. John the Baptist ran around in a loincloth and ate locusts. Receive that, Hoss, in Jesus' name. John the Baptist ran around in a loincloth and ate locusts, and God used him. John was self-righteous. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha fretted about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The boy with the fish and the five, five loaves was too obscure. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. The Apostle Paul, not only did he help kill Christians before he met Jesus, 
But it says, no, it, Paul was too religious. And lastly, Lazarus was dead. How many of you fall in that category? God used Lazarus, for goodness sakes, that had been dead for three days. So you've got to realize by this list, God can use anybody he wants if you're just willing. See, so many of us keep ourselves out of what God has called us to do because we keep bringing up our past like, like it's going to be intimidating to God, like God's going to say, oh my gosh, man, that was a really bad sin. I'm not going to be able to use you. No, that's not what he's thinking whatsoever. A lot of these people I read are in Hebrews 11, which is like the hall of faith that we look at and we say, oh my gosh, look at their faith. God used them so much. These are the same people that we talk about that were drunks, that were prostitutes, that were murderers, that had affairs. There were two religious. One guy was even dead for goodness sakes and God used them. So I'm saying that to say, don't count yourself out because God can use you if you want to be used. God is more willing to use you than you even imagine. You know, as we close here, Morgan, can you come up and play for a second? As we close, I just wanted to mention a, a few things. Can you stand up with me also? First of all, appreciate everybody coming out tonight.